Happy Monday on the Fan Morning Show. Justin Naylor, Sportsnet 590 Fan. Glad to be back in the mix here, squad. Start this week off strong. You're talking like you took a day off. Uh, I didn't work an extra two hours like you, so I feel like I missed no, so much on it. trade that's, deadline. It's that you were gallivanting a little on the weekend. And when you gallivant, you're like, It does oh. feel like another thing has happened in You your get life. the Sunday scaries. It's like, oh, I haven't been No, oh, I got the Sunday scaries. Did you? I was driving over the border like, oh, boy, what happened this weekend? <laughs> yeah. It's hard to like, it's hard to enjoy your weekend sometimes. When there's a big sports weekend, at least. Yeah, I got to consume Lots some to sports. With. I was in the beautiful city, scenic Buffalo, mm-hmm. New York. Tell us about your trip. It was great. Um, I got to see an awesome Sabres lightning game. Mm-hmm. That was that was part of the main reasoning. It's like, hey, a game that made big news. It sure did. I got to see it up close and personal. It was a good game. That, I will say Sabres fans and Sabres game atmosphere, 10 out of 10. Like, the fans know how to party. They know how to make a 12.30 matinee on a Saturday electric. I was going to say a matinee, right? So, like, what happens, uh, I don't know if you've been to a 7 p.m. Buffalo game, but if it's different, what is, like, the routine on a matinee game in Buffalo mm. in the middle of, well, I guess we're in March now, so the beginnings of March? I will say that it was also their kids game, mm. like their next generation kids takeover game, which was really sweet. And really cute. They had was like, it like the same as what the Leafs do? No, way different. They had the kid doing the announcing on the the loudspeakers oh, in the arena. In Toronto, don't they? No. It's always Mike Ross. Really? Yeah. Well, oh, it has wait, been the on, last couple on, years that I've done A next-gen game where every all there's kids doing everything, including like Justin Bieber acts in the middle of the second intermission. Mike Ross still does this his job. Year, they didn't have a, a kid. He doesn't have a protege? They, they didn't have a kid do the in-arena hosting well, with you me. Didn't, yeah, you didn't have a protege either. And they didn't have that. But at the Sabres game, it was just like a free-for-all. And the kid was hilarious. He's like, Carl Scarby, Dave Thompson. Like, he, he was just like, ah! Like, so totally unhinged. He was nice. so excited. They had a kid doing the in-arena stuff, um, like interviewing. All of the the video board photos were the hand-drawn of the players hysterical like imagine hand drawing tage thompson's face mm-hmm. as a six-year-old they're just it was really good they leaned into it the atmosphere is always so fun like they they're a passionate fan base so i enjoyed it very much so and the game was a big win and i was there cheering for the sabers because i want the lightning to lose games and i want sabers to win games so it's perfect well and the, i teased the big news the big news was that steven stamkos Braden point nikita kucherov you didn't see them for the third period the whole third period John it took Cooper. me like a little bit to like clue in what was happening. I was like, I feel like I, I haven't seen them in a while. Like, what's so going what, on? What was going on with those three? It wasn't working for really, them. They didn't play well. But I know you I, probably were like dialed into Stephen Stamkos' game. I had a but notebook out. I was doing plus minus stats. Notes, yeah. You know, um, Corsi. They looked a little off though. They looked off, but I I was surprised they got sat for the whole third period, especially when it you know got closer there five five three five two for a little bit there it was like oh they're making a push and you were expecting like a response from the lightning after that mm-hmm. but in a back-to-back yesterday they got absolutely worked by they're the carolina washed, hurricanes Justin. i think they were like they didn't get a shot in one of the periods they had four shots yeah, in the first two periods what's going on with the tampa bay lightning i don't know i saw this them. is gonna be easy picking this is for what i'm the saying i was the there round? scouting out the first round i thought there's no problem so here you, tanner Janot. Yeah, you weren't scared i did see tanner Janot. Yeah, he beat the brakes off someone. Yeah. That was that the highlight thought, of the oh, game, God. for at least the Tampa he, perspective. He's a good fighter. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's worth, you <laughs> Is know. Is it worth 17 draft picks for him? Maybe not. not. sure. But I got to see the get, get to see the guys. And I got to see the Goathead jersey, which is my favorite. So it just worked out for me. It was right, a great right, atmosphere. Right. And you 
of course, went to a vintage shop. Yeah, hit up my favorite vintage shop. Hit up the casino. Mm. He had the what happened at the casino? Most profitable experience of my entire life. Probably. Most profitable? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. If you can, if you can be in any sentence, was or begin, but say most. I mean, I don't go to the casino sentence. very often. It might have been my fifth time in my life. Still, either way, like if you went once and it's most profitable, at least it wasn't like the worst loss That's of your true. life. I, so go um, on, tell uh, what I happened. I only hit up roulette when I go there, or like the stupid little slot. They're all rigged, probably. But I like roulette because it's just, you don't have to use any brain power. You, you like just to shut go, the brain off. Yeah, and you just go with your good, gut. Good to not use any brain power. 100%. <laughs> you just go with your gut, and I'm like, all right, what am I feeling here? I played eight spins, or see, I don't even know, like, that's what they're called, right? Hands, spins, rounds. You spin the roulette spin, wheel, yeah. yeah. The lady does. And, sorry, I played nine of them, and I won eight like I won money on eight of them. You only played nine times, well, eh? yeah. especially winning eight times. And well, you, and you only it was just nine? like I started and I was only doing like either red, black, odd, even or the lower half of the numbers or the higher half of the numbers. And I was just like I was hitting. It was weird. It was just like, oh, OK, black, red, whatever. And then it wasn't. And you were mixing it up. It wasn't yeah, like it hit. No, I, I didn't. No, I didn't pick the same thing times. in a row. I was just kind of like, this is what I feel. And I was going really well. And this wasn't like a high stakes table. Everybody relax. It was like five bucks. And. At the very end, when I was feeling a hot streak, I thought, I'm going to put a lot of my chips on 27, which is my hockey number. A lot of your chips. A not, lot of your $5 chips. Not not all of my chips, but I had been sitting there and winning and accumulating some chips and put money on it. But I put a good ha- good chunk of my chips on 27. I thought I hadn't pressed. I haven't done any of the numbers at this point because I just like to do the bigger odds, uh, you know, either it's red or black. Mm-hmm. And then 27 hit. And it was like the craziest moment. I tried to be all calm, like I've been there before. I'm like, what? oh my Do, god! Of course you can't be calm. Oh my god! The You're lady, allowed to go crazy when you hit like, a single number. She's roulette. like, oh my god, it's 27. I was like. If she's getting excited, she you're allowed excited. to be excited. Because I had sat there and I just like played the, you know, the the less fun ones and didn't go in on a number. It went in on a number. It hit and I took all my money and ran. I was like, thank you. I'm going to cash out. And I got out of there and I felt like, oh my God, I'm like blessed by the Lords. That's what I was going to say. I mean, last week we were talking about charmed existences with the Boston Bruins, it's how injuries happened. happen at the right time. Never happened. I've seen you put like... Long shot gambling winnings. So maybe on I Twitter. have just like long shot. I think you live the char- you live the Boston Bruins life. Ew, but Don't I'll take it. Ew. I'll take it because that was so fun. And then I left, and I felt wow. I'm so glad that I left at that moment though, because a part of me was like, dude, double down. <laughs> no, so it was a successful, very fun. I had a blast. So, so this was the Buffalo side, like you were in the Niagara region, but the Buffalo side, you were still in Buffalo Casino in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Is it like? Are there a lot of different options? Because one thing that bothers oh, me huge. about Niagara Falls is like you go in there, you got to play twenty five a hand men, and it's just like no, there was a lot. Like I was not you going play $5 to five dollars there, which is nice. The like that's that's table. one thing that bugs me about casinos, especially there, is like there should be something for everyone. Instead, they have four tables, and the only one that it is, is affordable, everyone's at there. You have to wait forever to no, even no, get a no. seat there because all the hundred dollar minimums are oh, wide open. And I'm like, I'm not playing a hundred dollar no, no, minimum. No, no, I don't go near that. Exactly, but a five dollar blackjack table yeah. is like the the, the most fun you can have with like a group of, of people. Myself, yes. Just five, you bring what. 100, 200 to the table, play $5 hands. If you lose, you lose. But you can have fun for a long time playing that way. Mm-hmm. They need more of that. 
at least in Yeah, I went to the very profitable, responsible route. At the end, I did check out their little sports uh, sports book area, mm-hmm. which is fun because at that point, it was the UFC fight was about to start. There's some basketball, some college basketball, NBA was on, and so like you could do like fun little like live betting. That was yeah. fun too. Sports bet. So I had, I had it was very fun. I had a good weekend. Did you win any on the UFC? I did bet on the Sixers to come back and win, and they did win. And I did bet on UFC, and I also won. Okay, so you just made of gold. Yes, Justin. Just keep in mind these are like baby bets. I don't. I, you don't have to. Like you're so worried about how much think money I'm some it is. Sort of like you just crazy had a, Everyone has. You know, in Sometimes relative it's a terms, eat weekend. You're right. In relative terms, you had you you won a lot of bets. It doesn't mean you're a millionaire now. No. You just had a good time. It's all good. All right. Congratulations. I did have a wonderful time, and uh, shout out to the beautiful city of Buffalo, where everything is deep fried. I don't think I had a green item consumed all weekend. Really? I thought you'd not mix a, in a lettuce. You were going not, to some like bougie places with nice storefronts. Like I thought that's not Buffalo. Not a. Where are you? Not a single green in item. The suburb of Buffalo was consumed. Okay. That's this week's goal. Okay, best dish then. It was Quickly great. before you. Best dish? Before we move on, what was wings. the best thing you ate? Some incredible wings. Okay. Yeah. Great. Some good pizza. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I did miss, I was listening to you on the drive um, to Buffalo on Friday. Mm-hmm. You had your back-to-back shows, Sportsnet Today with Matt Marchese, and you did a really wonderful job. And Thank it was you. great to listen to you guys break it down. There wasn't too many blockbuster moves, though, and I was getting worried when I'm driving. I'm like, is, there, is there something going to happen for poor Justin there? No, I think everything we did was talking about, like, what had happened. Yeah. I don't think we even discussed, like, uh, maybe we mentioned Curtis Lazar getting traded, but I don't think we actually And you kind of joke about it. You're like, oh, yeah, Curtis Lazar. Yeah, it was, it was pretty light. It was pretty light for everyone involved, but it was a fun day. There was, like... So we, we're kind of in our own little silo here. We don't even see anyone, really. We get Bunkus breaking down the door at uh, 8.55 every day. That's, that's really all we get. Uh, but it was cool to be in the presence, a like a lot of people like that. We have a little meeting area down there. And there was a little, like, there wasn't the food that the TV people get. But there was a little food after. People were excited. People were getting ready for their shows, debriefing after their shows. It was fun to be uh, in the mix a little bit because we kind of get lost here in the morning. Well, I was listening. You, we had a great star-studded lineup on the radio and on the TV. So shout out to everyone that grinded out for trade deadline. But the big story is it was as predicted, kind of a dud. But it has wrapped up, and now we're seeing a Maple Leafs team that is going to be the Maple Leafs team until most likely Matthew Nyes joins. The deadline was already set a couple days earlier for the Maple Leafs, other than having to move Dryden Hunt, which I don't even think. You guys talked about. No, I don't. Yeah. I, we kind of relatively we glossed over that pretty quickly. So there are some clips here from Dubis in terms of like we can we can put a bow on some of the trade deadline stuff that Leafs did. We are going to do trade deadline winners and losers at seven thirty instead of just general winners and losers. Let's let's wrap up the trade deadline. But were you surprised personally while you're covering this and, and getting excited um, for a day of hopeful trades that that was the way that the Maple Leafs went? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we kind of, I think we prefaced our show, our show, and we prefaced the show I did with Maddie at, from 11 to 1 with like, are, are the Leafs done? What should the Leafs be doing? Is there something that the Leafs have planned for today? And I think, I, not that I was expecting it because it's a lot to ask, but I felt like there was an opportunity still. Whereabouts? Like in terms of improving the lineup, yeah. Oh, well, didn't, didn't we go over this? Like, yeah, I, yeah. So I, I when you I, were playing, like when you were on there, did you think, okay, I think that you know, a, 
a goaltender could be in the cards or just in general. I, I never thought I, you were banging the goaltender drum. I've been kind of leaning more towards defense this entire time. I was banging no drum. I said they weren't going to no, do anything. You were banging remember? the goaltender drum I a little bit. I said they were not going to do anything. Okay, you did say that, but you said, if anything, goaltender. I think this is the, the one point of contention last week no, for you was goaltender. No, I said they could get a top six winger. They could, yes. Or a defense to play with Morgan Riley. Okay, so then you were just more interested because you yes. definitely were asking people about the goaltender. The, yeah, the guess we had, I, well, had because some, that, was a, that was a hot topic. We hadn't okay. even seen if Matt Murray was off LTIR yet, which he was. And, <laughs> and he's back and he, he looked fine. But again, I, I don't know how long that's going to last. But the, the, the main thing for me and has been for you know the entire week or I guess the three days we talked about mm-hmm. it and a couple days since the weekend has been, okay, you traded Rasmus Sandin, you did bring back a defenseman, but you got a first-round pick in the process, and I don't know if you weakened your defense score, but you at least made a decision that we can't play this guy in the playoffs. So I kind of expected that there'd be, okay, let's go and find someone that Mm. we do trust in the playoffs, because you did bring in Jake McCabe, but you were still always one defenseman short. And then we see on Saturday night, Morgan Riley... And Luke Shen, and Luke Shen is Luke Shen. Like, I, I just don't think we should, we should miscast that guy, and I'm worried that they have miscast that guy just a little mm-hmm. bit because it always it still feels, despite adding three defensemen, that they're a defenseman short because Luke Shen is the perfect seven. We, we understand that. I don't think we should, we should like, oh, it's, you know, seven worked perfectly. Stanley Cup champion uh, with Tampa Bay Lightning. All of a sudden, we're going to make Luke Shen a top-pairing defenseman? Like, that seems a little hopeful to me. Eric Gustafson seems like just the more talented power play quarterback and the exact same player as Rasmus Sandin. And now you have Morgan Riley, who continues to struggle, struggling a lot since the changes were made. So the second unit has been fortified, I guess, with Jake McCabe. You feel good about where you're at, I guess, with Mark Giordano and Justin Hall. But you have Timothy Liljegren sitting. You have no one to play with Morgan Riley. And I just felt like... There's there's another piece here. There's another there's another move here to optimize this situation and make it all make sense because it didn't make that much sense when you look at it now and the deadline passes and we see what happens Saturday night and it just seems like it's a little incomplete still, mm-hmm. which is wild to say it after is, six because editions. they made the most moves out of anybody in the NHL. They changed their roster a significant amount, but the question is going to be down the stretch here is was was it the right was it quality over quantity or was it quantity over quality? And how are we going to factor in the chemistry? Now, Duba spoke post-trade deadline around 3 p.m. on Friday when Maple Leafs had officially wrapped up their trades um, on the approach that, that the organization took and how the chemistry of the team moving forward is going to factor into this. I, I never set out to try to make uh, a lot of changes. I think it was just more trying to um, identify what we needed, uh, address that, and then further address what were going to be the, uh, the impacts of that relative to the salary cap, player injury statuses, and different things of that nature. Um, so in, in a perfect year, I think you would go in and feel you didn't have to do anything. Um, but in this era where the cap isn't really grown, you take the summer, you try to uh, address things as best possible, and then you take the first 40 games and, and really try to measure where you're at and take as much time. I, I do have a lot of faith in, in what I've seen from the players when they're outside of the lens of the public and, and we're together that they could handle bringing uh, some new guys in. And, and one of the new guys has, has been here before and knows a lot of the staff. And as we got past that, those moves on Tuesday, it became, okay, do we want to further... The chemistry part did come into focus a little bit more in terms of wanting to say, okay, now we have to let it settle and let these guys roll. We've addressed what we think they need. Now let's let them and the coaches get to work. 
For me, that chemistry factor is the biggest thing that I'm not seeing yet. They have an incredibly talented roster. When we do winners and losers, they'll they'll be in my winners. Like the Maple Leafs got better, but there is a there is a question. I think it's been raised now a couple times since these moves have started that they haven't looked cohesive yet. There hasn't been a dominant full game. There's been some dominant periods. The end of the Calgary game, the beginning of the Canucks game. Mm-hmm. But you got to be able to to find a way through it. And I'm not I'm not selling the alarm yet. This is still early. Like there's going to be a period of time here. I think when you're not doing 11 and seven, when you're really like honed in on, these are the lines, like let's let them cook. They haven't had an at home stretch to really put together practice. They've been on the road. Like there's a lot of factors that maybe why the Maple Leafs look sloppy, but they looked incredibly brutal against the Vancouver Canucks. One of the worst teams in the league. Yeah. These are like inexcusable games to look like that. Those are games where you're playing a level of competition that you should be able to find a way to win, right? You weren't getting an entire new roster and playing as a Boston Bruins. Like this was a game where you can kind of work out those kinks and it's it's not looking as seamless as maybe we had thought or hoped, but there's still so much time, obviously, and there's going to be an opportunity when they come back home to really like work through this, but... Yeah, Saturday was brutal. Like, Saturday was a terrible way to kick off. This is our new team. Like, this is our team. We're going down the stretch. We'll probably get Matthew Nyes in a month, but this is who we're going to bank on winning the Stanley Cup. I feel like the integration thing's a little overblown. Like, so why, I, don't, I don't think it's much of an excuse, so, Oh, honestly. no, it's not an excuse. I think it's a, it's a like, factor. Look it up front. Top two lines unchanged. Yeah, you had a new third line, but okay, so... Maybe you're not expecting it to be great, but they weren't great. And Ryan O'Reilly went out, and then everything gets thrown into the into the wash anyway. Like mm-hmm. it, it didn't really matter what was happening because all of a sudden he was out. But like, is it really that difficult to insert Sam Lafferty into your lineup or Nolachari? Like Nolachari, like it's very simple. The fourth line should be very simple. What are they doing? They're just playing responsible defensively, getting on the right side of the puck and trying to grind it into a pace once they get into the offensive zone. Like I don't think it's like you're splitting the atom here when you're putting Nolachari on a fourth line, maybe a little bit from the defensive standpoint, but I think they could do themselves some, some favors if they just simplified things like you're right about the 11, seven. I'm not really sure how you're supposed to find something that is going to be repeatable. If you're doing something that you're never going to do in a postseason game, mm-hmm. like you're just not going to do this. So where does that leave you? And I'm not really sure because Timothy Lilligren's out. Is he he's one of your top 6 defensemen? He is. Maybe he's a little bit banged up and like okay, we want to see what the other guys have, but I don't know if like the tryout thing should be happening post deadline. Like you're not bringing in people to have tryouts at the deadline. You're bringing in because you're missing a piece, a specific piece and you're trying to fill a gap. I don't think you should be trying to just see what you have post deadline. It seems a little bit strange to me. I think they got they have to get their Choose their sixth best defenseman. Choose the best arrangement that you think you can get out of that and work on it because clearly I think there is a bit of a ramp-up process there. Yeah. But it, as everyone's like, oh, six new players. Like, give, give them an excuse. Like, you know, how are they going to win games right now well, with I just six said new players? I just said it was inexcusable, but I do think... No, I'm, but that's what I keep hearing. It's like, oh, it's really tough integrating six new players. Well, I think like, it is. Nola Cherry's been here for a bit, bit now. He plays on a fourth line where it's not exactly that intricate. It's not intricate. a zero factor. I'm just thinking, uh, yeah, the road. you have new defensemen. That's the integration thing, I sure. think, for me. And you're not, And my thing is you're not making it easy on yourself. You're not putting yourself in a position where it's going to be as seamless as possible because you may not have selected your best seven defensemen, let alone your best six, 
and you're giving Morgan Riley, who is the biggest problem spot right mm-hmm. now on the entire defensive core, at least relative to their role, and putting them with not not only the worst defenseman that you can, but a rotating cast of your sixth that and seventh needs, that needs to change. De- and eighth d- depth defenseman, which is a bit of an issue right now. So I feel like they got to try to put themselves now starting again back home, put yourself in a position where you can work on something that's going to be the framework of your postseason structure. Like it shouldn't be tryout central. It should 100%. be let's get the top six and let's figure this out. Okay, so I'm in, in, in agreement with that. They got one more game on the road against the Devils and then they have... A, a nice homestand of four games in a row, but like with one day off in between each of them. So not so much time to really get into the practice habits, but speaking of Morgan Riley, because I think this is now, this is now uh, quite a while of trying to find the right fit for Morgan Riley, not just post trade deadline, not just pre trade deadline, but season long looking for a way to find Morgan Riley, a, a comfortable fit. He, he was asked about trying to find cons- some consistency. And I think maybe he's the one bearing the brunt of all of this in terms of trying to find somebody to play with, and he spoke about how that is difficult. I don't think we're sure yet. We're, just, I mean, we're trying to figure that out. Obviously, if you look at the game, um, our first game of the trip, even the game at home against Minnesota, then you go to Seattle, you win a good game in Seattle, then you go to Edmonton, and you're, it's a poor effort all the way through. Then you go to Calgary, it's great, and then tonight is not so great. So the ups and the downs aren't, aren't a good thing. We want to be more consistent than that. So um, in terms of how I view it or in terms of where we're at, um, you know, obviously we have to even it out and be more consistent. Um, you know, we don't want to be a team that's great one night and then not good the next. And that's consistency, I think, also with who you're playing with. Like, we didn't get the full part of that. But I, he's laying it out. One good game, one bad game, good period, a bad period, like, the Maple Leafs in general need consistency in their play and maybe some consistency in your partners. And, and another reason why it's like, oh, the six guys, it's really difficult. It's like, that's not the issue, too. Like, yeah, there's some issues defensively, but the people that have been here have I, been the issues. Yeah. Like, John Tavares lately has not looked good. And Austin Matthews, like, maybe you give him an excuse because he was banged up for basically the entirety of that game after taking that shot off the knee. Maybe you give an excuse yeah, but there, but the last month? it hasn't looked good for a while. And William Nylander hasn't had this greatest little run, but he did set up John Tavares for that beautiful goal. Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of job well done for him. But maybe even the guys who have been here a while who aren't the core four. Like, Michael Bunting's role is diminishing rapidly. He wound up on a third line after seeing his minutes drop off the table over the last two weeks or so. He has not looked good. And I don't know if like you're hearing footsteps because you're bringing in all these new guys. I don't think that should be a thing. That should make you play better. Exactly. But <laughs> you're like, playing for a contract. Maybe, maybe the maybe the influence was always going to dwindle a little bit, but it just seems like there are only like a collection, a small group of players going on a night-to-night basis. And if you're going to be integrating these, like you want to introduce these new players to a winning environment where everyone in the system already is doing the right things. And if no one is doing their job when these new players are coming in, yeah, maybe they're like forced to scramble a little bit and they don't know exactly what the precedent is and they can't settle in because there's not something stable to settle into. I'm more worried about what's going on with the players that have been here than the players that have come in. Okay, and that's that's where this big problem on Saturday leads to is <laughs> you can't get two shorthanded goals scored against in the same power play to lose a game. Like there's just, there is no excuse to that. That is on the core four who were the players on the ice for both of these who looked 
stunned and shocked when the league worst power play scored two goals on you mm-hmm. in a game that was very winnable against one of the worst teams in the NHL on a on, against a fan base that that arena was basically split and it was probably a huge game for Vancouver as their head coach said that this is our kind of playoff game. You've lost six straight at Rogers Arena. To have two PK goals scored against, you just looked. It was embarrassing. Like, that was brutal. Yeah, it shouldn't happen at all. But it shouldn't happen because you shouldn't get that chance. Like, if you're that top power play unit, I get it. You're down one in the third period, but you get to stay out? No, it's a poor You get to stay out after you give up a shorthanded goal that way? Like, I get it if something like... You know, it was a bad bounce or or someone makes an incredible defensive play and, and scores an incredible goal. It wasn't like that. I still that. don't even get it, though. It was self-inflicted. And you you pull the puck out of your net once, you shouldn't have the opportunity to do it again. <laughs> the other group should have been on. And I get it. I think it happened like 44 seconds later. And maybe it happened, you know, happened a few seconds of the playoffs. So I guess they were, or into the power play, rather. So they were deep into that penalty already and maybe fatigue is part of the second half There's of that. There's like an opportunity to send a message, though, and it was missed. There's no way that they should have been back on the ice immediately. Maybe because I just watched the up. Tampa Bay Lightning All-Stars sit for a third period, too, in the same day, so maybe I'm also thinking and of that th- moment. That but. is interesting because let's say the Tampa Bay Lightning won 6 nothing yesterday over Carolina, mm-hmm. and that discipline factor worked, worked in quotations, like, I guess. Wow, like, what wow, what a... Man, that John Cooper, he knows how to coach. He knows how to coach his guys. He knows how to use... Uh, discipline and what is it? The punishment and uh, positive reinforcement, mm-hmm. negative reinforcement. You take something away, all that psychology like stuff. That's to coach your leaders, knowing how to stars. coach, knowing how to coach your team, knowing which buttons to push, knowing how to deal with a certain situation. Yeah, it didn't work that way for them, but I don't. I I still think there has to be some consequence for that. <laughs> if it's just take being removed from the ice for thirty seconds, if that's the bare minimum, okay. But there's no way that you should be able to give up. Two shorthanded goals like that in that situation. Playing on the power if you're the play top is like a, unit, it's like a it's real a privilege. privilege. Yes, and to get a shorthanded goal scored against, you should be revoke that privilege for at least fifteen seconds to come back and be like, "Hey guys, dial it in. Like we can't be, we can't have that happen. This is a winnable game. Like refresh, refresh, get back out there. Like I just, I, I'm in agreement with you. Just that yell at them for twenty that. seconds and yeah. put them back out there. They can handle it, but can they? That's I don't know. It just it seemed like a soft decision and. Now, and I think people made this parallel as well, not just myself, but the core four, the fate of the playoffs, the the way that they're going to make it through tough stretches, how they're going to win tough games, how they're going to have playoff success rides on the core four. And if you're falling short in moments that aren't the big moments, like the Vancouver Canucks in the third period isn't your Stanley Cup, but if you're not able to deliver in those moments, are you going to be able to deliver in the power play? in game seven against Tampa Bay Lightning. A huge, huge stretch at this point to say that that means anything. But I don't know. It's it's something to think about. Like, have, delivering in big moments, small sample of this weekend, which was a brutal game. But their conversation has begun with many about, hey, this uh, you know this is something that the, the fate is going to rest on their shoulders come whatever week the playoffs start. Well, yeah, exactly. And as much as they have issues with, okay, we have six new guys and how we're going to integrate them and the defensive pairings right now. That's your power play. You, But you still have issues. Yeah, you still have issues in the top six. Mm-hmm. Like, forget the power play. 
who's Mitch Marner going to play with? Mitch Marner, we agree, best player for the Leafs all season. He's really the tonic. He is the guy, the straw that stirs the drink all the time. When he's out there, he's making best use of his line mates 98% of the time. Does he have to play with Austin Matthews? Can Austin Matthews play by himself? Can he help John Tavares? Or is John Tavares going to be out on an island again because it doesn't work with William Nylander? They have, they, not only have they figure out who's going to play with who on the back end, they got to figure out who's going to play with who mm-hmm. within the core four itself, which has been together forever and is not supposed to be an issue. It's supposed to be the thing that makes the difference for you. And it still seems like they have major, major decisions to make there. They have to figure out exactly what's right stick to it and work on it because we got Michael Bunting being dropped from lineups. We've got Matthews needing to play with Marner, but Marner being better or Marner, not necessarily being better, but the whole situation being better when John Tavares gets to play with Mitch Marner, there's a lot to figure out here. And if we're saying, Oh, it's an integration process, it's an integration problem. That's not true because the core four have not been playing well themselves. And they're the ones that are going to decide like you put it the success or failure of this team hinges on their sh- or rests on their shoulders. Concern level for me is still personally low. I'm giving a little bit of grace, whether you're in complete agreement or not. But there, there's no grace I, I, for I, the core four in my in my perspective because you haven't changed. You've been the guys that are supposed to lead this team throughout. But I mean, there's going to be situations where you have crap games, you have bad stretches. But, yeah, one hundred percent. That that's where I'm at. I don't like to see things that become a pattern. So that that's where I'm at. I think. Brutal showing. You got to be able to flush that and come back against the Devils tomorrow, which is a great team, hard team to play against, and not have an completely embarrassing effort like that. But certainly there's things that raise alarm. I thought Matt Murray, we got to see him back. I thought he he played pretty solid. I wouldn't say that the loss was was on him whatsoever. There were some really incredible saves. And unfortunately, his team left him out to dry a few times. But I was happy to see him come back and not have an absolute stinker. Like, that's what we just waited for quite a while to see is what Matt Murray is going to look like. He first started since January 17th, and he got in there and he battled. So I don't think you'd ask, steps. I don't think you'd ask for much more for Matt Murray. And he's in a big spot. I think spot. he was left out to dry on all four goals. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, could he have had maybe a stop on one of the shorthand sure. goals? Sure. But, like, you're asking a lot. Yeah. You're asking a lot. From a guy that hasn't you played in a while, those, too. You gave up those breaks, which were... High, high, highest of danger scoring chance. And you don't think that he knew how big that game was for everybody watching him, thinking, oh, my God, they just went through the trade deadline, didn't get a goaltender. What's this going to be like? So I, with all things considered, I thought he was probably one of the, the most solid of Maple Leafs that night. Going back to your concern level quickly, that's in the short, immediate term, right? Like that's putting together a team over the next six weeks. What do you mean? Like any Leaf fan has to be, they playoffs? have to have a concern level in the playoffs. I mean, you, yeah. you watch this team. You got to be concerned about like history shows, history, <laughs> and whether this team is going to rise to the occasion. I think, yeah, I think they're going to figure it out over the next six weeks. Again, it changes; it'll be different, and the and the pressures and the stress and the core four having to prove it, and the depth having to be, uh, you know, hold up their end of the bargain. Like, I think those are all valid, valid concerns. But the process of getting to that point, I don't think there should be concern. I think you're right. But you got to start putting yourself in a position to build 100%. because right now it's just like this fluid thing where it's where you're not actually moving in one firm direction. They got to start moving in a firm direction here. Agreed. Um, Devils on Tuesday, and then a big weekend here uh, Saturday night against the Oilers at home. Sabers on Monday, which will be really fun. Avs coming into town. Hurricanes. Like there's there's some really good opponents over the next stretch, which will be fun, and they're at home. So I'm hoping that that's 
that's the reset that they need, the refresh, come back, be in your own barn, get everybody acclimated to the team, just some people that haven't even been to Toronto yet. So mm. I'm not coming in with spicy spice takes, but I'm saying you just can't have performances like that. So um, let's move to the Raptors. We got Raptors news and Blue Jays news to get in here too. So Raptors earned the split against uh, the Wizards, which was, as we mentioned on Friday, a must win to get the split, which you know, better than losing. They had to go to OT for it, but they maintain a little bit of a lead on Washington here. Final game in the series between those guys will be March 26th. That's going to determine the series like slash tiebreaker, which is really important because these guys are fighting neck and neck for a play in for a playoff spot. Um, A big bounce back game, which was the hope after Thursday's brutal performance led by nurse making some adjustments, which is what you're supposed to do if you get a two game series against somebody like this is where if Nick nurse has all this praise of being a good coach, we did see some adjustments on Saturday that made me feel confident that they can find ways to beat teams that are in the same ballpark as them. That meant like adjusting the rotation, the bench, like last game, I think it was yeah, Thursday they played the bench had what four points or something. It was brutal. Um, they ended up with 44. So a way better adjustment, the stars played better. Like that's what you're going to need to beat a team. Like that's not a tough sentence to think of, but everybody played better Saturday enough. So to get a win against a team that you need to beat. So like, not like, I don't know what you're supposed to take from that. And then you needed to beat the wizards and you did. Yeah. I mean, I think we were kind of made, Oh, I was a little unfair. I was like, Oh, must win games. You've got to beat Washington's. If you want to go, yeah. to, if you want to be, I don't think a that's unfair. Team. That's the direction that they chose to go. Bit, bit tough though, to, you know, sweep a home and home against a team that's competent. I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, I think the split is an acceptable result. They really had to fight for it. Mm-hmm. They were embarrassed in the first game and had to really grind to get the second game. And the, if it went a different way in overtime, we'd be all over these guys, I think for, you know, getting embarrassed, then blowing a lead. Yep. Like, it's not a good look. I came away from that series, though, being like, okay, maybe it changes a little bit if the, if they play at Scotiabank Arena, and that's why, you know, being ahead of them in the standings is very, very important because this is a potential play-in opponent. I think they should work like hell to try and get out of this situation where they might play Washington, though. I think Washington's a bit of a tough matchup for them for the sole reason that they got shooting. They got mm-hmm. a lot of shooting, whether it's, you know, Kispert, Kuzma, Beal, Porzingis can step outside and knock down, uh, uh, like, uh, knock down shots. Like, this team is a little bit terrifying in a one-game do-or-die situation because if they get hot, they're going to beat you. Uh, a team like Toronto is susceptible to a team that just gets hot from uh, shooting the ball. Like, that's just the reality of the situation with the Toronto Raptors is, like, they can't win those pure shootouts. Uh, because they're not built that way. And Washington's built a little bit more towards that way. Are they an elite team in that regard? Not even close. But if they get hot, they can be a problem for the Toronto Raptors. I think we saw that over the last two days. And they can do some good things defensively. Like, they made life Mm kind of miserable on Pascal Siakam, and it was on Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Fleet to really step up and and lead them to a victory in that second game. So, like, it goes without saying. The big difference between finishing 8th and ninth in the play-in format, really big. Uh... It would be it would behoove them clearly to get into the eighth spot where they're winning in and they can just you know they have a second chance too to fall back on whether it's Washington that gets out of that that initial lower play in game, but I think just getting out of the situation where you might play Washington in a do or die would really benefit them as well. I, I think I think there's some. 
there's some landmines there either way. Like, it doesn't really matter who you're playing. Like, it's going to be a tough game. You still expect the Raptors to probably be favored in that situation. But I'm a little worried about Washington after watching those two games. Maybe it would be a little bit different if they're playing at Scotiabank Arena, though. So, you, yeah, you mentioned they were tough on Pascal. This was his second game in a row of 15 or fewer points. Um, I mean, that's, once again, with a grain of salt, if he doesn't have a performance like that. You saw Fred and Gary both really pull up and were able to, like, elevate their game to help with Pascal having an off performance two in a row. Um, and, the, uh, and Fred and he, hit some big shots in overtime. To be fair, it's like they did well against Siakam. Like, they, yeah. they if you send doubles, like, you well, can shut... I would hope there so. Are only a few, there are a few players you can't shut down no matter mm-hmm. how many bodies you throw at them. But, like, if if they're going to take away Siakam, it's on Fred and Gary yes, and that's to get thing. it done. And they did get and, it done in that did. sense. And that's I guess that's a little bit of a reason why Washington's a little scary. Like, maybe other teams can shut down Pascal... But they have now proven it twice, and it comes down to the other guys. And those other guys, Gary and Fred in particular, mm. have been hit or miss throughout the balance of the season. Like Fred missed a lot of shots, but the ones that he did hit in OT, I think he had two threes there to help pull the victory out. Those are big, and it's good for him confidence-wise to be taking those shots and hitting them because you know how many times I hear, Fred for three! Missed. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it starts to weigh on you, and Gary obviously had a, a pretty great night, 26 points, but... His bounce back for me was important because he had four on Thursday, four points on Thursday. His season lowest came back and had 26. Like him and Fred being able to to pull up their socks a bit when Pascal's down, for me, like that's a good sign of being able to shoulder the load because what did we say for the last month? It was Pascal, Pascal. He had a streak of 25-plus points, one of the longest in franchise history. Like he was doing a lot for this team. I'm not concerned that he has two games where he looks a little off in terms of his scoring because if those guys can find a way, like they can level out. But you're right. This is a tough opponent to play against. They've got a little stretch here on the West Coast, Nuggets, Clippers, and Lakers, and then they're back home. So like every game matters right now for the Raptors. Of course, that's the direction you chose to take as an organization as well. So winning a game that you needed to win, I'll give you you some praise for that. And one more note on why Washington may be a little scary is like, with their lineup decisions, and I don't know if like Pirtle's dealing with a little injury thing. Maybe mm. it's that's part of it. But it seemed like, okay, they went small. They forced the Raptors to go small. And they took out whether, again, whether or not there's some injury factor there. They took Pirtle out themselves. And Pirtle, it, talk about people doing a lot for the Raptors. He's been doing everything for the Raptors since he came over. And if they can remove him from the game just with a lineup decision, that's another thing in their favor that could help them in a potential play in matchup with the Toronto Raptors. So a couple things there were just like, okay, I got keep just don't forget about don't think Washington's gonna be a walkover if you get into a play in no. scenario where you have to beat them just to get to the next game to try and get into the playoffs. Eight seed pretty important. I know that's not great analysis, but it's really important. Uh Raptors back in action tonight, nine PM um in Denver. You can send in your wake and rake picks from that. Then they've got some late games this week, nine, ten, and ten thirty. So get your naps in, folks. Um but yeah, Raptors continuing looking to build on some momentum after a big OT win. Um Blue Jays news as well. A couple things here. We're gonna have an opportunity to break this down with Jeff Blair also at 8 a.m. And we have our guy Frank at seven to do a little NHL trade deadline whip around, but couple big things from the weekend. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. out of the World Baseball Classic. Um, his decision because of a knee injury sustained um, in Saturday's game or Friday's game, sorry, while he was running out of play. Nothing serious, a minor inflammation. They did an MRI, no structural damage. But nonetheless, opening day, three and a half weeks away. 
like there's no, I don't think there's a high level of concern at all that this is going to be an injury that lingers, but really mature decision from him to decide to pull out of the World Baseball Classic himself. Maybe there is behind the scenes a little bit of influence there. John Schneider doesn't seem to be so keen on everyone going to the World Baseball Classic. And I get that. And Kirk isn't as well. But nonetheless, like this is, this is a, Big moment to represent your country. The World Baseball Classic is a great opportunity to play, like, for the Dominican Republic, and there's going to be competitive baseball there. And that's, like, an all-time level team 100%. that you'd love to His be a part of if you're Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Dominant. So he's not going whether it was 100% his decision or not. Whatever. I'm I'm really happy to see it. I think... He's putting the Jays it, first. It's 100% the right decision. He's putting the team first. Just shows how important this season is for him personally and for this organization. Um, happy to see that He's going to take some time here with the, also with the Blue Jays training staff. Like it's just, it's the right decision. Obviously I hate to see that he doesn't get the opportunity. Same with Kirk who had, I am kind of bummed for him though. Yeah. That's why I'm saying it's not not an easy decision. Like this, this thing is the WBC seems kind of cursed, right? Like not that it like Alejandro Kirk and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. are like the biggest draws in the world. But I feel like in every single market, there's going to be a discussion here. How oh, can we how can we stop these guys from yeah. going? Because it's this preseason tournament, which is at such an important time, and any team with ambition and really has and something you're to prove this up year. And like, there's a like, lot of pressure. Yeah, it's a distraction, and I, I feel like there's going to be every excuse in the world. Any minor knee inflammation, they're going to be looking to pull people out. Mm-hmm. World Baseball Classic does start tomorrow, and I I do want it to be interesting. I hope it is. Uh, but Vladdy takes a little of the sting out of it immediately because, you know, you have to put your ball club first and there are ball club activities going on yep. as the World Baseball Classic starts. So uh, happy to see the right decision made. I'm unhappy to see that Vladdy's not going to get an opportunity to play. But in the end, this is, you know, this is the season that really means a lot again for Vladdy and the Blue Jays. Um, Jose Bautista going to be added to the level of excellence at Rogers Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best Blue Jays of all time, obviously made a lot of great memories in that stadium itself. Um, but that's going to happen in August, which is going to be really awesome. The first 15,000 fans are going to get a bat flip bobblehead, which will be great. He'll be the 11th player. Oh, there's going to be some scraps yeah, for that. People are lining up already. <laughs> I saw him out there. Uh, but he'll be the 11th player to have his name added to level of excellence. It'll be Saturday, um, August 12th against the Cubs. It's going to be great. Well-deserved. This guy not only has been the face of kind of this really important era, era for, I think, a lot of Blue Jays fans, too. Fell in love with the Blue Jays during this run mm-hmm. where Jose Bautista was a main key contributor of this. A lot of my favorite memories of starting to watch the Blue Jays and really getting into it were led by Jose Bautista and that team. So really happy to see it. You know, he set the single-season home run record. Like, you can go through all the lists of why Jose Bautista is one of the best Blue Jays of all time, just in terms of statistically statistically, and what he did. But I just think there's a nostalgia part of it as well. So the bat flip is going to be an iconic moment in Toronto sports history forever. Maybe one of those moments where you're like, where were you? Where's that rank in Toronto sports lore? It's up there. Oh, yeah. So for him to get this opportunity is awesome. Well-deserved. Glad to see it. Um, and now with a new stadium and with a full attendance, I think it's a perfect time to do it. Yeah, I think he's one of the most important players in the history of this franchise. Uh, I guess if we're talking like lifetime Blue Jays for me, like, yeah, I guess I was technically around with those World Series championships in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. But do I remember them? No. And do I really like... Do I have the nostalgia? Do I have the memories? Do I have the things that affect or impacted my fandom? Not really. I think those two guys for me are Roy Halladay, Halladay 1A, mm-hmm. Jose Bautista 1B. I think, and the greatest thing about Jose Bautista is that he re-legitimized this 
organization, this franchise. Mm. Like, obviously, it was different way back then. In the early 90s, it was different. It was, like, almost the cool place to go. Be a Blue Jay. Be a part of this amazing collection, all-stars, and this new team and this new thing. It was like they were, like, power brokers. And then they weren't. They kind of fell off, right? And they were just lesser than when compared to the Yankees and the Red Sox. And it was like, well, could you really even be anything if you were a Blue Jay? And I think Jose Bautista came in and changed all that because Halliday was it. Halliday was amazing. Halliday was everything that you want out of a ace and a star player and a star baseball player. But Jose Bautista brought a different attitude to this team. He made it so that, hey, we're not here to be just professional ballplayers, we're here to win and we're here to Mm -hmm. be in your face. And I think Jose Bautista kind of changed the way that this team conducted itself, almost single-handedly. And of course, it took a little while to grow, took a little while from 2000, I think, eight, maybe he was uh, initially acquired. Uh, And it took a while to get to 2015. It took a while for them to start winning, but he gave them attitude, swagger. He gave them something to build on. He made it so that they could stand up to the Yankees and go into Yankee Stadium and just be themselves and be a presence. I Mm -hmm. think Jose Bautista gave this organization presence. And I think, you know, despite maybe a little bit of a letdown in that it didn't quite work out, maybe there was something left to be desired. Maybe there was some outstanding work that they didn't get to in the Bautista era. Uh, I think he changed this franchise for the better and for that reason and more individual accolades. He deserves to be on the level of excellence. 1,235 games with the Toronto Blue Jays over 10 years um, helped end a 22-year postseason drought. Of course, brought a level of intensity and fierceness and competitiveness to this ball club that was missing for a while. So we'll talk about the legacy of Jose Bautista with Jeff Blair at 8 o'clock. We'll also touch on the debut of Jose Barrios, which was long anticipated and and maybe not um, as exciting or prolific as we had hoped, but stepping stones, maybe, nonetheless. Uh, We'll talk about what he thinks about the recovery or the next little while for Vladi and how to properly get him up to speed three and a half weeks away from opening day. We have Frank Saravelli at 7 o'clock, hopefully looking maybe for a little bit of uh, Ryan O'Reilly injury update, which is something we, we didn't fully touch on at the first block. Like That could be a major concern. Obviously, we don't know. We'll see, but that would change a lot of the trade deadline grades if you look at the Maple Leafs, unfortunately. So we'll do trade deadline uh, winners and losers as well at 7.30. But on the other side of the break, we're going to do the A-list. Sportsnet 590. Now. It's time for hey, the A-List. Bing bong. Bing bong. Bing bong. What's baby? Justin, when you think of loony dogs, who do you think of? Who do I think of when I think about loony dogs? Mm-hmm. None other than my co-host, Ailish Warfar. Yum, yum, yum. Is there any other answer to that? Who owns a... Thanks to you, Looney Dog costume. Uh, me. Oh, wait, no. I'm thanks to me. Yeah. You. you. Yes. Yes. You, you, you. Who spent most of last season trying to break records in the city of Toronto, pushing the listeners, going and eating as many as humanly possible, feeling sick to do so to push us over the 50,000 limit? The one and only, Ailish Forfar. Well, who was slighted by the Toronto Blue Jays this past weekend. Oh, no. What? Me. What happened? 
The Toronto Blue Jays announced that Schneider's was opening a specific porch at the Rogers Center. Oh, boy. To celebrate the return of Looney Dogs. Oh, boy. And they picked two other Sportsnet talent. No. To make a promotional video. And I checked my spam. I checked my DM requests. Nothing from the Blue Jays. Really? Here is the video. And we love them. Ben Nicholson Smith and Arden Swelling. We love the At The Letters podcast. They're 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 there all the the time. They're professionals. But the, I guarantee, just mm-hmm. to interrupt you for a second, that you had more Looney Dogs than those, those I two certainly did. combined. I think I helped get that many Looney Dogs for the city of Toronto more than these guys. But nonetheless, here is the promotional video without me. Welcome to a special edition of At The Letters. Ben, how excited are you that everyone's favorite night at the ballpark is back? Analytics night, time for media to take BP. How about Looney Dog Night brought to you by Schneider's? Tuesday home games just got a whole lot better with the new porch in the outfield district. Shouldn't we be talking baseball? I am talking baseball. What is more baseball than eating a bunch of hot dogs at the yard? I guess I just thought we'd talk Flatty and Varsho. I guess I just thought we would talk ketchup and mustard. What are we doing here? That's when I should break through the back in my Looney <laughs> yes. Dogs costume and say, Looney yeah. Dogs! Yeah, we, I think someone had to be a little bit more passionate. Like, there's passion there, but there was, like, the straight man, funny man. passion. I, I think this, I think you have me to blame. Because it was clearly a two-person job. Maybe they didn't trust no, me. No, they didn't. Schneiders didn't trust me with the other acting portion of that. I think that's the one thing you can hang your hat on at this point. Well, the good news is, yes, there'll be a very special area of the Rogers Center in the 200 field, uh, 200 level overlooking right field, which will be for the Looney Dogs evenings. The Schneider's porch can accommodate up to 150 fans. What's going on here? I'm going to have to get there when gates open. And the front row where you're going to see the gang, the Looney Dog Kings, who we know and love, it's a reserved spot for 20 guests. So you're going to have to find a way. It's going to be like VIP, like trying to get into a club. Are you on the list? No. So I'm wearing that Looney Dogs costume trying to get in. Um, There'll be some really cool things, including a Looney Dog counter. Mm. So there will be no questions. Shai Davidi's not going to have to put in the work to be the insider to find out how many there are. It's going to just count. It's like a live Like a live counter, counter. which I think is an awesome addition. And then you're like, we're only 20 away. Come on. And like everyone's just like grabbing Looney Dogs. It's going to be very fun up there. So you know where to find me even though I wasn't invited. The smell could be an issue in that little area. I don't care. Even Ho- though I hopefully, wasn't the, hopefully the roof is open on those nights. I'll be there, Blue Jays. You try to cut me out, it's not going to happen. I relish the opportunity. <laughs> okay. All right. To make a name for myself. I mean, this maybe next year. Maybe next year. I'll and get I'm, my game up if I'm the issue. And I'm going to catch up to Arden and Ben, and I'll be there. Do you have one for mustard? You must. No, 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 you ruined no, it. No. All right, Frank Zarevelli and the other. I'm going to muster up the courage. Thanks to Josh for that one. There you to go. show my you face can... at the Toronto Blue Jays home opener or whenever they have Looney Dogs. I'll be there. You, you got... try to ban me, it's not happening. You got all your bases covered. Nice. All right, let's talk some hockey with Frank Zarevelli. Deadline fallout, winners and losers. Any sense that the Leafs are trying to do more? but didn't get an opportunity to? We'll find out. That's on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show.